Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalized keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewelry, whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle, or even more? Look no further than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan, and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary, or maybe it's for someone's birthday, maybe something for Christmas, or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts is the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Villag Morgan, CF627EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at 07789942248. Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film, or even theater. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So do you want to have experience in making jewelry? Do you want to pick up a hobby, but do not know what to take or where to start, then look no further than the Veil Jewelry Workshops. Veil Jewelry Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewelry. They will help you make a range of silverware, including rings, bracelets, and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills, such as soldering, texturing, shaping, and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewelry, and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildewerryworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildewerryworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 07789794248. Hi! Hi! We're Billboard Ensemble. Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the Memo Art Center from the 20th to the 23rd of July, featuring 25 dance floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West, and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcenter.co.uk or call at 01446 738 Hey guys and welcome back to Creative Space Podcast. I am your host Truly Reese Deans and it feels like a long time coming that we should have had a, a brand new guest on the show so I thought well I'm gonna dig deep long and hard and see who I can find to come on the show and I found a guest for you guys. His name is Johnny Owen. Johnny is an actor, a musician, he's also a documentarian, he's done many many projects and especially all evolved around football. He, he, he knows his stuff and some of you guys who are not really into football maybe this is not the right podcast episode for you but you may enjoy this one you never know um i i don't just talk about football with johnny i talk about you know his his experience in working with various tv productions especially itv when they covered the abavan disaster uh we talk about a lot of things as well that involves with his career being on in shameless skins and doing a couple of films here and there we talk about a lot so without further ado guys it's me johnny owen on creative space podcast 
cut that out because that is so weird when I put <laughs> it's all right. It's just uh, yeah. lets me know you're recording. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah. So, Johnny Owen, I mean, I spoke to you some time ago because originally uh, I asked you to come on my Dragon's Voice podcast, all to do with Welsh football. Um, schedules, whatever, doesn't matter. But I'm finally glad that you're going to be uh, on a podcast with me. But how are you yeah. doing? How are you keeping? I'm very good. Thanks. Yeah. I'm um, I, obviously it's the. Uh, it's the business end of the season. You know, there's a playoff final on Sunday that I'm involved with because I do a bit of work for Nottingham Forest these days. So I'm involved in that uh, big game because obviously the winner goes to the Premier League. And then the following Sunday, I've got Wales in possibly their biggest game in, in, a, in a generation, certainly for qualification, because uh, there's the possibility that we could get the World Cup for the first time since 1958. So two big games over, <laughs> over two weekends. So yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be in this place. It's better than not being involved in these games, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm all for, I'm all for Nottingham Forest to go up. I'm I'm all in favour. I've always wanted them to go up because the the type of uh, excuse the audience who who listen to this podcast who think when you're going to get to the films and that we'll get down to it in a minute. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, with with Nottingham Forest though, um, it, it, they seem to be the the type of club. Um, I always think anyway that they shouldn't be in the Championship for as long as they should have been. Um, yeah. they, they should have been back in the Premier League couple of seasons before then um but then I, I was watching the cup of 90 stories where they had all the nottingham forest supporters and they were talking about how it went from brian clough to um who took over after brian clough frank clark took, took over after brian clough frank frank clark. Clark. and then all the the manage the madness of multiple managers you know it, yeah. and it was it yeah. was so interesting i thought you know what i can't say a bad word about nottingham forest because it just seems to me that the, the, the type of club would go on to win the well, it's now called the Champions League. Yeah. And, you know, just having to be in a, the mid-table of the championship. It, it's bad how a lot of football clubs change through history. It, it's absolutely bizarre, especially like with Cardiff City as well. You know, yeah. big in the 20s, 30s, and obviously, you know, big in their own right. But now you see where they are now. It, it's just mad how football clubs have changed over the years. Yeah. Yeah, cyclical, I suppose. You know, empires come and go, as they say. Forest, obviously, were the best team in Europe in the late 70s, early 80s. Still a big club, big support. I think you're right. I think the thing is, you've got to earn your right to be in the Premier League. And, you know, through a combination of factors, they never quite got back in there. This is the best chance they've had in, in a long time. But like you say, as far as the club's size is concerned, a bit like Leeds, you know, massive support, huge fan base, lots of season ticket sold, always take thousands away. So... Under those qualifications, you would say that they are a top-end club, really. And like you say, fingers crossed. It won't be easy. Hull are very good. Uh, Huddersfield are very good. Um, they've got Sober Thomas there. Well, Shlad has been yeah. brilliant. So, yeah, it'll be a really difficult game. But I, I do feel that a lot of people, certainly in football, seem to want Forest to go up because of the size and the history of the club. Yeah. Going on to, speaking of Nottingham Forest then, because obviously we talk about the documentaries that you've made and everything. Um, I've watched mm. I Believe in Miracles. Love the documentary. Um, I think as well because there's been a lot of projects about Brian Clough. Yeah, you had the Damned United, obviously. Um, you you've had so many books, you've had so many uh, coverages on Sky Sports and Soccer AM, BBC, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What made you want to make a, a documentary about Brian Clough whilst that not in the forest? Is it, is it because that it wasn't covered before? underrated in, in the sense that it's never been covered. It's always the fact that Brian Clough was at Leeds and he was at Derby. They always stand out. What was yeah. it? 
Yeah, I'd moved to Nottingham, basically. My partner, Vicky McClure, uh, she, she's a Nottingham girl. And we lived in London for a few months. And then she was said, should we go back to Nottingham and live? So I moved to Nottingham. And um, they, was, they were launching a, a local TV channel called Notts TV. And the chairman of that had seen something I'd done back in Wales about Cardiff City for FA Cup final day. And he really liked it. And he was sort of saying, look, I think there's a great story to be told about the Nottingham Forest team in the late 70s, early 80s that hasn't really been told in depth yet. Uh, and I thought, yeah, it's a good idea. So I started making it. And um, obviously it, was, it became a much bigger thing than either of us possibly uh, imagined because it became a really, really popular film, you know, and did great at the cinema and it's on the streamers now. But yeah, I just thought it is a remarkable story that Clough went to a football club in 1975 that was, was sort of like the bottom end of what is now the championship, and then took them up, then wins the title and then wins two European Cups. It's never, never been done before or since. Mm. I just thought it's such a great story and such a great time. I could use music from the era. And the, the players were fantastic as well. Obviously, Clef has passed away now. But the players uh, all speak brilliantly. They're all in their 60s and 70s now. But they were able to talk very candidly and honestly because enough time had passed. It had been 35, 40 years. So they can just talk about things they probably couldn't have talked about at the time. But they were able to be really honest with me. And, um, yeah, it was just a great story to tell. Uh, and it's because of that film, really, that I got involved with Nottingham Forest then. They're asking me to do some media work for them and things like that. And that's where the, the relationship started, really. You know, it was quite funny, really, because obviously I grew up as a Cardiff and Merthyr fan. Um, and I ended up working for Nottingham Forest. But the, the fans and the club have been absolutely superb to me. And uh, I can't speak highly enough of them. And I really hope they go up uh, this weekend. Speaking of other coverages and documentaries as well, in regards to football, and it's, it's really interesting to me because um, I, when I was in university, I, I mean, I'm football mad. I mean, yeah. uh, I'm a... Barry Town supporter, so there's probably yeah. a bit of love interest, the love rivalry there with Murta and Barry. But yeah, uh, uh, massive Barry. I used to support Cardiff, but I've always had my reasons why it was it, it jumped from Cardiff to Barry. But then yeah. I grew up as an Everton fan because of my my father, and he always said yeah. the reason why is Neville Southall, no one else. And uh, yes, <laughs> when, like I said, going um, when I was in university, I did a. a a play about Barrytown's uh, court case when they were trying to fight in the league, etc. And then, yes. and then uh, when I was doing my masters, I look back and I think I'm more proud of this one than I was of the because I did the BA scriptwriting. And when I did the MA drama, they had to do a performance piece, and I did yeah. a one man play. On well, I say I did one man play. Um, it was me and my friend Steve, but I did most of the work about Fred Kino. And yes. And the one thing I really wanted to talk to you about is that um, when I did the when I did the piece and I'm looking at the man's story, I know yeah. locally and probably in Cardiff culture, yeah, the, the man is talked about. He, he's talked about a lot. He, he's celebrated a lot. I mean, for crying out loud, he's the man, he's the captain who won Cardiff the the FA Cup for crying out loud. But why yeah. is it that no production, say maybe in Wales, maybe some like BBC Wales or whoever? hasn't picked up on his story to go, do you know what? Th this needs to be told. You know, th this this needs to... They should have probably done this when they got to the FA Cup final last time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why do you think... Do you think there'll ever be uh, a, a, maybe a TV movie or maybe a movie or something about Fred Kino? And maybe would you... I don't do know. I mean, I think, I think it's obviously... It's, I think it's a great story and all the rest of it. I think there's, there's obviously there's not been a documentary because there's not a lot of footage around of him from the time, you know, because it was the 20s. So, you know, they didn't have a lot of filming stuff. There is, there is footage of him. I've seen, you know, with the cup and stuff. Uh, but I don't know. I think I think there's a few reasons for that. My, my thing would be that, you know, Wales has always been media-wise obsessed with rugby. 
especially for, for sort of like, you know, since the Second World War. So there was less room for football, really, in that sense. There is now, ironically, because the football team is doing so well. But I think, you know, you know, it's, it's an expensive thing to do a drama as well. And I think there's probably a few reasons why there's never... I bet you that somebody's had the idea of doing it because it is an amazing story mm-hmm. set in the First World War and told he was never going to play again and all those kind of things. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. I just think it's I think it's probably a thing to do like finance and stuff like that. Mm. With, with that being said as well, um, going on to the other two documentaries that you made, I always call it the Johnny Owen uh, trilogy because you yeah. did... Because you did um, Don't Take Me Home, yeah. I Did Miracles, and you did yeah. Three Kings. Am I yeah. Three Kings. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, Don't Take Me Home. I mean, I got in there, I watch it religiously. I think every single Wales fans watch that film religiously. <laughs> yeah. was, was, it, was it something that you came up with? Or was it someone that approached you and gone, hey, Johnny, can you make this documentary? So how did that process came about? Well, what happened was like, I, I wasn't making it when I was out in France. I went there as a fan, which I'm really glad of now because I was just able to relax and enjoy it. I wasn't worrying about stuff like, you know, yeah. coverage and interviews and getting to places. I was just there and enjoying it and soaking it all up. And I came home and within about two or three weeks of coming home, uh, I was approached by PT Sports uh, and the Welsh FA and a guy called Grant Best, who I'd made, I believe, in Miracles with. And he said, look, I think there's an opportunity to make a film about Wales. Would you be interested in doing it? I said, yes, <laughs> obviously. Um, and I, I literally, I did that film in about, we did it in about eight to nine months, which is a really quick turnaround for, for a documentary like that. But we tried to get it out for St. David's Day and we did it. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we took a really nice snapshot of what it felt like to be a Wales fan and player at that time, because we were all still high, really, from the, from the summer in France that we'd done so extraordinarily well in. So, yeah, that was the background, really. I was like, I was asked, after I came back from France and um, I try to use a lot of um, fan footage in it as well from their phones and stuff so so we could kind of capture how everybody felt really and uh, yeah you know in Wales certainly it's, it's been good I've never bought, had to buy a pint since watching Wales so it's been handy like Reese. <laughs> <laughs> I, I buy you a pint if I saw you he's like yep he made a great film <laughs> yeah the three kings though so three mm. Scottish the the greatest what what is it with Scottish managers being so damn good? Yeah, I know. what is it? So I don't know. I, I, something in the water there, I think. You know, I know. <laughs> so what is it? It's Jock Sheen, Bill yeah. Shankly, and yeah. Matt Busby. Oh, Matt Busby. Yeah. So again, why why them? Uh, obviously, why not them? But yeah. Well, what was the what was the reason for that particular topic as well? Well, I, I like the fact that obviously they were the managers of three teams that, you know, have become sort of iconic sporting institutions, really. Celtic, Manchester United, Liverpool, dynasties, really, didn't they? Um, but I was really intrigued by the fact they all knew each other well, especially when they started, you know, going into management. And they were all born within a like a 30-mile radius of each other from a very specific part of uh, of the country, Lanarkshire and, and Asia, which is the industrial part of Scotland, really, just outside Glasgow, where a lot of the pits and steelworks were. And they were all miners. They were all miners straight from school. So I thought, there must be something in that. And what you said, why is it that, that area of Scotland produces such fantastic managers? And now the obvious modern one has been Sir Alex Ferguson. And I just thought, there's a story to be told there, why, why they come from there why they were so obsessed with football and, and how they were able to sort of manage teams so brilliantly. And that's the story we try to tell, really, that uh, they were obviously, they had great character, great morals, great principles, and they were able to transfer them to the football club. And, you know, we can see today that the football clubs have all gone on to become, you know, three of the biggest clubs in the world. 
Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalized keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewelry, whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle, or even more? Look no further than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan, and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary, or maybe it's for someone's birthday, maybe something for Christmas, or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts is the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Vale Morgan, CF627 EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at 077-89-94248. Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film or even theatre. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So do you want to have experience in making jewellery? Do you want to pick up a hobby but do not know what to take or where to start? Then look no further than the Veil Jewellery Workshops. Veil Jewellery Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewellery. They will help you make a range of silverware including rings, bracelets and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills such as soldering, texturing, shaping and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewellery and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildewerryworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildewerryworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 07789794248. When it comes to making documentaries, how much research does it have to go in? I know documentaries because you're telling facts. You're not telling, you know, um, when you're writing something, uh, a bit like the crown where i know research goes in but then they take dramatic yeah. with yeah you know like documentaries they've got to be right so yeah how much time and research does it have to go in before you can go right let's start shooting uh quite a fair bit i mean what you do is you kind of like uh, what i do is i read up on them i try to get all the books that i can on them and sort of watch the old documentaries that has been on them there's been quite a few um, and I just kind of sort of like become as genned up as possible on the subject really and the same while you're doing it so you, you find out more and more as you're going along when you interview people and you, and you meet them and you find out more and more so you kind of build the story as well as you're going along you do all your research and then as you go in it's lovely when you, you find things out to surprise you and add to the documentary so yeah that's kind of like how I do it I do read up and, and, and watch what I can about them all or the subject that I'm doing. And then once I start, like I said, start interviewing people, you can add to it as well. Yeah. And I know I'm going to mention, um, I hope I'm saying this right, Svengali in a minute. I'm going to mention, yeah, yeah. I'm going to mention that film as well. But yeah. I really wanted to know something. Um, is there any other uh, topics for a new documentary in the future? Or would you like to challenge yourself as a filmmaker by going into something different say for arguments like all right would you make a film that's similar to Svengali or would you make something mm. that's completely different or would you want to as, as it ever dawned on you that maybe you would like to make a film a bit like the damn denier where you take a, a specific footballer or a specific football manager or whatever and tell their yeah. story as a performance 
Yeah, there's nothing off the table, Reese. Really, I, you know, I, I've I've been very lucky, and I've made stuff about subjects that I love that are very close to my heart. I've really enjoyed doing it. I've started a production company with my partner Vicky, um, and you know, we're hoping to do lots of different things. Really, she's obviously still a very high-profile actor, uh, whereas I've sort of gone more behind the camera and really enjoyed producing and directing. So I kind of see myself staying in that world because I've, I've loved doing it so much. But no, listen, if, if, if an idea comes for a drama or a comedy or any kind of documentary, then I'm, I'm certainly up for it. And you're right, you should test yourself. You should do things that make you a bit nervous sometimes because it's kind of there's no better way than sort of staying sort of sharp, really. And especially with Svengali, what was the uh, process behind that one? Was it just the idea you just sat down and went, That'd be a good idea for a film. Like, yeah. <laughs> but it started online as a viral, really, a long time ago now, oh, 2007 <coughs> or eight, I think it was. Really, in the early days of um, it was like MySpace and Twitter. Uh, I don't even know if Twitter was going then. Certainly, um, YouTube's early days because it used to take so long to load up the stuff. But it was an idea that I moved to London. And the idea was I played somebody who'd moved to London, Welsh lad, who was convinced he discovered the, 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 big, the next big thing and to use people from the actual music industry at playing themselves. Uh, and we did one and it took off really quickly. People really got into it and shared it a lot and liked the fact that sort of people turned up like Alan McGee for Argon Steak and Boys from Libertines and all sorts of people, Martin Freeman. And they all turned up in these little virals that people sent around. And, um, and then it was picked up to become a film, really. About that took about four, three or four years. It was quite a long process. I was a bit like the character Dixie chasing companies and asking them, "No, oh, you should make this," because it was just virals that time. And thankfully, somebody did, and it ended up uh, ended up becoming a film. And because you started off as a musician before you became an actor, so yeah. How did that? So when you started off as a musician, obviously you formed a band. What was the band called? And how? How did it all, because it was, it was saying that it was like the first 10 years of your career, because it was in 91 to 2001, so 10 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how was that experience like for you to be in a band and just starting out somewhere? I loved it, really. I mean, it was like my, my apprenticeship, I suppose. I was in a band from about, I think it was 1990. Um, I, I formed a band uh, called the Pocket Devils, me and a lad called Glenn Hyde from Merthyr. We were, um, we were together all the time. He was a guitarist and I was the bass player. We were both obsessed with the Beatles and sort of, sort of the mid-60s beat bands, the Kinks, the Small Faces, the Jam later. So we formed this band in Merthyr and um, yeah, we did all right. We sort of we got to this point where we were like getting big supports and um, and then we were like, uh, we got a publishing deal with Sanctuary and a, and a single deal to release a single. But then it got to like about, 95, 96, I think it was. And I got offered a part playing somebody who's in a band in a drama series in Wales called Nuts and Bolts, which was on HTV as it was called then. And it was nine months work. And I was recently married and I thought, I need some, I need the money basically. <laughs> so I did that um, while I was in the band. And, and that kind of took off me in the sense, like I got an agent from that and then that agent started getting me other, other work. So the kind of acting superseded the band. I still played with the boys and all that, but it became my profession because it was paying me um and that's the kind of like so i kind of fell into that side of the world really i love doing it but i kind of fell into it and then once i got in there this is the way the world works i was at htv and i was just talking on set about football and stuff like that. i loved football obviously in sport and the head of drama said the head of sport at htv oh you should meet this guy johnny owen he knows his stuff when it comes to football so i went in to meet him and he went do you want to come and do some stuff for me on stuff like Soccer Sunday and covering Cardiff, Swansea and Wrexham. I said, absolutely. So I kind of fell into that as well. So I was kind of doing lots of different things then. I was, and that was great because I was like doing little bits of editing and putting stuff together for him, doing the research, doing little bits of presenting. 
I was acting, so I'm going to write little reports and stuff like that. So it was a really good education, really, to sort of to do that. And once I was in HTV, it was brilliant because they had different departments. They had a, obviously the drama department, sports department, they had a documentary department, and they said to me, "Are oh, we doing a, a thing about the Second World War?" And obviously, degrees in history. I was like, "Yes." Do you fancy coming to work on that? So I was getting lots of different experiences, which was great. So that kind of put me in the good stead, really, for where I ended up being in life, which is like a filmmaker, I suppose. So that was definitely the place where I learned and I did my apprenticeship, I suppose. Yeah. Do you know what? One of the things I was doing when I was researching about your career and everything, I know you've done skins. Um, I know you done. I, I remember watch. I remember just walking in. My mum and dad would never let me watch um, you know, skins or... Uh, uh, Shameless, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think it was shameless. And all I remember is you in the in the police uniform, and you were just sat there. Yeah. But that's all I remember because um, it, my mum and dad had the box set. But yeah, yeah. Uh, with me, I had different taste in TVs and films. You know, even though I, yeah. you know, the age of eight or nine, I mean, I'm watching Scarface with my uncle Tony, and he and they're just thinking to yourself, you should be watching that. It's like no, no. But <laughs> there we go. But the one thing. I really wanted to know is that in the research, it, it said in a particular project you played, uh, it said a, a BNP thug. Uh, oh, yeah. I, did, yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to know what was all that about? That was a film for um, in Wales called Little White Lies uh, that did really well. I think it got to like loads of film festivals and stuff. I think it won a few. So I basically played this lad who was, um, gosh, about 20, 25 years ago now. I played this lad who would, who would fall into sort of the far right, really, and started picking up, it's a bit before his time, all that kind of stuff, the BMP as it was at the time, and then started getting really, really sort of deeply into it and becoming very right wing. And his sister starts going out with an Asian lad. And he's obviously really pissed off about this. Uh, so it's that story, really. And uh, I went a few BAFTAs and stuff. So I played a really nasty character in that, which surprised a lot of people because, obviously, you know, they usually see Smiley, Johnny. Yeah. But it was it was great great to play that part because it was really interesting to get, you know, into that character and, to, you know, how people sort of end up embroiled in that world, really. And, um, yeah, yeah, Little White Lies is a blast in the past. That is. You forget these things are still out there floating around, really. With another one as well, there, there was... Like I said, I got my research here and it, it said um, you had a meeting with Irvin Welsh when filming Gene Video, Is It Over? Uh, I, I just want to know what you said it proved like, I mean, I've done some research and I'm looking up notes and it, it said it hmm. proved, proved pivotal in Owen's co- uh, career, a meeting with yeah, Irvin Welsh. So what does that mean? And can you explain a bit more that meeting with Irvin Welsh? Yeah, it was one of those strange things. He was casting uh, for a video for the band Gene, the indie band Gene, uh, called Is It Over? And it was his first time he was in charge of like, directing something, and he cast me. And uh, we just become really good mates, still are. He's a great lad, Irvin. Uh, and once we become pals, he kind of wrote quite a few things for me then, over time, stuff like Dose and Good Arrows, and he got me in Wedding Bells. And obviously, because he's such a brilliant writer and so well-known, that kind of like propelled me on then and sort of people started going, oh, okay, we've seen him in that. He's very good. And then cast me in other things really. So yeah, Irvin, meeting Irvin and, and sort of working with him over the years has been a real pleasure really. And like I said, I'm really chuffed that we're still mates really. We still keep, I've seen him the other week actually. And um, yeah, and it was pivotal because like I said, his profile meant that when he got me in his stuff, people seen me. Yeah. One other thing I want to talk about is a bit, bit of um, it is a serious topic, especially, you know, it's, I, I would say it's a bit personal to you because it, it involves with your father. And I, obviously I'm going to mention the Abba van disaster because you did a, yeah. 
uh, coverage for the ITV Wales as a writer yes. of Aberfan. Um, when it comes to when it comes to something like Aberfan, obviously, mm. I mean, even for me, when I was in university, I did a half hour. It was a twenty-minute half-hour performance piece with two friends, and I'll never forget this. But two, because two of my coursemates, they were both from England. Yeah. So when I told them about the Aberfan disaster, and I think they, they knew it because one of them was way older than me. Um, and they said, well, how? And the other one was, he knew of it, but he didn't understand it. And it, yeah. it was bad that when we were doing the research uh, about this performance piece, obviously we want to really take it with, give it a lot of respect. Um, yeah. And I will never forget, but when we had to travel up to Aberfan, right? I mean, he was all, my friend was all smiley and buzzing. But as soon as we got there, the move, mm. his move changed rapidly, and that's how much yeah. this has to affected a lot of people. I think even to this day, I just wanted to know um, what what was going through your head when ITV or whoever asked you to do this this piece, and also um, did you ever ask your father, especially because he was he was one of the first to, to yeah. go up there. Did you ever ask him about the event or was it something that you, you just didn't want to push? No, I mean, they, they, they approached me, the, the old head of um, HTVs it was, and Ellis Owen, a good, great guy, actually. And he, he sort of said, look, we're thinking of doing this and, you know, we'd like you to be involved because you're a Merthyr boy and you've got connections to the area. What do you think? And I was like, well, you know, if we do it sensitively and, you know, uh, do it right, really, emotionally get it right and respectfully, then yes, I'd be interested in working on it. And he said, absolutely. You know, so me and uh, Judith Davis, who's a brilliant producer, she led with it. And we just kind of like, what we did was I had connections to the area. Obviously my father was was, was an electrician at the at the sister pit, um, Trillewis at the time. So he was across there quite early as part of the the, the first men that arrived, the rescue men really, I suppose. But um, my primary school headmaster, Mr. Tudor, he he has lost a son in the in this Aberfan disaster. So I went to see him really and sort of said to him, look, you know, this is what, you know, they're thinking of doing, what do you think? And he was like, well, look, you know, if, if you're involved in it and, and the way that you're going to approach it, then yes, I'm, I can help you. And, and so once I, once Mr. Tudor sat down with me and sort of started helping me really and introduced me to different people in, in Aberfan, you, you were in their trust as well and explain what you're doing. That's the kind of way I, I went about it really. And obviously, like I said, being a local boy, Aberfan is very close to Mr. Tidbill. Um, you know, it was really important to me that we did it right. And I think we did get it right because we were able to tell the story, not just of what happened in the disaster, but the people's story from the time as well, what happened to them and how they had to react to it and how they coped with it. And over the years, what they did, you know, for the area, because it was, you know, the village, after the spotlight leaves somewhere like that, after the you know initial few weeks of the disaster, and they're left then really with what, you know, the future holds and, and we try to tell that story as well of how they cope with it. And, you know, how do you cope with something like that? And, you know, what they did to get through it. And when it came to, so when it came to your father then, was he, was he very yeah. as well to talk about? Yeah. It? I mean, I didn't interview my father for it. I just, what happened was, it was a long ago it was, I had a VHS and I was going through all the old footage from, that were in the archive at um, HTV Wales and we had the BBC archive as well. And I seen him on there. I thought, oh, that's my dad. So I put it on a VHS and I just took it home. And I remember, I think he was, obviously he was still working then. And he came in from work and I was with that tea. And I went, who, who do you think that is there? And he was like, oh, that's me. So we had a bit of a chat and, and he kind of explained what it was like, you know, and, um, 
you know, I think I think he said something to me. Obviously, I didn't interview him. He said something really interesting. He said that they told us at the pit surface that there had been an accident in Aberfan, and they originally told us a wall had fallen down uh, near the school. So he said we came around the valley as it was around the mountain towards where Aberfan was, and obviously he said I I see that it was something much more, you know, much larger, much more dramatic than that, I suppose. Um, and that was, I always remember really stuck in my head that he told me that, um, that he said that they, they, they didn't tell them the extent of what had happened because they probably would have been too shocked, you know, and he said, so they just said, us, our wall has come down. So he was one of the first people to get there. And I think he said something like, so the men of the Merthyr Vale pit, they didn't call them out straight away because of course they were the fathers of, of a lot of the children. So they didn't want, you know, to, 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 to panic them and to bring them up. So that's why they brought them around from the, the sister pit he was saying so you know you got details like that really and i think he was there all day then and i think they were there every day most of that week really a lot of them trying to the rescue service and they did get quite a few out really in the early hours i think it was quite a few that they managed to get because they'd worked so hard digging through everything but if you, you see yourself from the footage it was uh you know it was almost impossible in so many ways because the whole mountain had come down yeah yeah especially when when the crown done it when yeah I, I remember because I, I was, I got turned down to, for being an extra for that episode. That was so bizarre. And, you know, when I, I kept calling the agents and I'd love to do it because, you know, um, yeah. it's one of those things where it's not you want to do it because, oh my God, it's it's all about the Aberfan. It's you want to do it because it's maybe part of it, maybe off or whatever. But, yeah. I, will, um, but I will never forget um Sorry, what was, what's that saying? Running out of time? This mean we'll end in 10 minutes. Oh. <laughs> All right, then. Um, so, obviously, they were, um, when doing the crown and everything, I remember having a lot of my friends or my bounce mates, and they were saying, hmm, hmm, okay. Because, obviously, it's more mainstream. It's going more out globally, and it's like, well, how, mm. how do people? But it was surprisingly how well they've done it as well. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I think so. Yeah. It's such a tough, you know, it's such a difficult subject. Like we said, you know, it's, uh, it's probably the most difficult subject you can ever address, I suppose. And, uh, you know, the Crown, there's artistic license of the Crown. Like you said, you know, I, th I think it's, it's quite interesting that uh, they're able to go sort of so off piece, as they say. But um, I thought that that episode was, was handled really well. Mm. Going, going back quickly to the football stuff and everything. And I could just see the time on it. I, that, is, that is so new to me. That I've got 10 <laughs> minutes left. I'm really bizarre. Um, You're better than me, man. I don't know nothing about any modern technology. I'm going to set up Zoom. <laughs> but going back on quickly about with Carlos, I remember uh, I was more familiar with you on that. It was like a 10-minute coverage film. And, yes. Yeah. And it was all about, all about that FA Cup final. But what was that film? I'm trying to look for that film. It was like... Uh, it says, "Oh, what are you doing?" Is it like a, is it the Monty Python film or something? Because oh yeah, yeah, it's um, I think it's I think Terry Jones, who's Welsh, had that clip in there where they he's in Peru, I think, and he asks this little sort of like uh, South American guy, "What's the score?" He's listening to the FA Cup final, and he goes, "Cardiff City winning," and the English guy goes, "Ah." So yeah, yeah that was, and what happened there was there was a lad, uh, Matthew, lovely fella who worked at BBC at the time. And he said, oh, I've seen this little clip of film. You've got to see it. I want to work it into the piece. And I seen it. And I was like, yeah, that's great. So that was what we did. We kind of like worked 
like finding little bits of archives and the right music and stuff like that and just filming stuff that's gone now like Woody's the shop the old casuals shop we used to go to it's amazing to do something like that within five ten years it could change you know people somebody said the other day they watched Svengali and they said it's amazing how much of uh, how much East London has changed just in ten years since that. You know, the buildings have gone up and the others have come down, and all the rest of it. So you don't realise at the time that you're making like sort of little snapshots of time, really. Of bang, this is what Cardiff looked like then. This is what London looked like. But you don't know at the time. It's only afterwards you go, oh, okay, I can see that the buildings have <laughs> changed now. Last couple of questions then for you, John. Yeah. You uh, coming on the uh, podcast? Um, Very welcome. Because Wales are qualifying well. I say they are qualifying for the World Cup. I hope they qualify. Yeah, let's, let's not run away with ourselves. I know. <laughs> literally. Um, kiss the flag. Kiss the flag. Um, <laughs> literally. Um, if, if, you were, if you were to, it's just a bit of fun. If you were told, right, you're going to make a TV movie, a film, but about a specific person of the yeah. 1958 World Cup, I'm going to exclude John Charles. Right. And Jimmy Murphy. Okay. Who would you pick? Uh, very difficult but I'd probably pick between either Old Church or Cliff Jones they would be my I'd probably Cliff Jones would be interesting because he, he went on to win the double with the Spurs and all, all that kind of stuff so I, but either Old Church is a, is a great story and a lovely man apparently but Cliff Jones is still alive as well so he'd be somebody that you could uh, you could go and, and interview and apparently he's still really sharp as well so I think he's an ambassador for Spurs and he's there on match day he must be in his late 80s maybe even early 90s but he's still remarkable, so I, I would probably say Cliff Jones. I met Terry Medwin as well when when they did. Did you? Yeah, when they yeah. did Tosh, the documentary. Yes. I was, yes. I was working with um, one of the uh, media productions based in Cardiff. All right, yeah. And the they said, right, you you got to need a bit of experience, so you're going to go with so and so, and they're going to go. We're going to go to Swansea area. <clears throat> excuse me, to interview two or three people. And I, I'm looking at him thinking, Terry Medwin, where have I heard this thing? <laughs> the 1958 squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just walking into, I think it was his son's house, I, I think. It was it was more of his son's house than his house. But as we walked in, it was like, even us two, even um, the interviewer, we just all felt, oh my God, this is, you know, royalty to us. This is a god to us because he's, you know, the squad of the 1958 squad, you know, and, and lovely. Lovely, lovely guy. Um, had a picture of him. He was oh, genuine. Fair play to Terry. We, we, were, we were great at that tournament. We always do really well. When we get into tournaments. We at least get the second round and, and often quarterfinals and semifinals. But um, yeah, I, mean, I thought it was really interesting that Pele said that, that was the most difficult game they had was against Wales, uh, and they felt if they could beat Wales, they could win the tournament, which tells you everything. And obviously, John Charles was out. He'd been kicked smithereens by the Hungarians um, and if he'd have played it's one of the great what ifs of, uh, of Welsh Welsh sport in history and the last final question for you then Johnny is so far how do you look back on your career I look back on it with a lot of fondness I'm glad I did lots of different things I'd say that to any any youngster going out in media don't be shy about doing lots of stuff sometimes when you start they say oh you know you've got to be a musician or you've got to be a presenter you've got to actually you know what it doesn't matter don't let them put you in a box try everything and you'll find what you like and what you end up doing is probably where you're meant to be. So, yeah, don't let anybody tell you, you know, you can't be or can't do this. Give it all a go. Why not? I look back on it, like I said, with a lot of fondness. Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalised keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewellery, whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle or even more? Look no further. 
than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan, and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary, or maybe it's for someone's birthday, maybe something for Christmas, or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Villag Morgan, CF627EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at 077 Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film or even theatre. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So do you want to have experience in making jewellery? Do you want to pick up a hobby but do not know what to take or where to start? Then look no further than the Veil Jewellery Workshops. Veil Jewellery Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewellery. They will help you make a range of silverware including rings, bracelets and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills such as soldering, texturing, shaping and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewellery and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildureworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildureworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 07789794248. We're Billboard Ensemble. Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the Memo Arts Centre from the 20th to the 23rd of July. Featuring 25 dance floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcentre.co.uk or call at 01446 738 622. 